Well, good morning, church. Welcome to First Methodist Lamisa this first Sunday after Easter. So glad you're continuing with us in worship. We're going to begin a new series this week over the life of Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel. It is a great story. I'm sure you remember many of those stories from your childhood if you grew up in church. They're popular stories for uh, Sunday school classes and Bible studies for kids. But we want to revisit those stories and kind of refresh ourselves in them. And we want to go further into the content, the other content that is in Daniel that you may have never covered, that is just as interesting and fascinating. You know, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel deal with the life of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they find themselves loyal Jewish kids, really. They were probably in their mid-teens when they arrived in a foreign country. And they were in a hostile environment to their faith where they were challenged as to whether or not they were going to stay loyal to God or live in a spirit of compromise. Not only compromise in regards to indulging themselves in pleasures that were found in this foreign environment, but compromise in regards to caving into fears and pressures, not only from their peers, but from their superiors to, uh, to not be loyal to their God. And so we're going to study those stories. But the second half of the book deals with dreams and visions and information from God to Daniel in regards to what was coming in the immediate future and the distant future. And so there's an, some important information to be gleaned from those chapters as well. And God has some very interesting things to say in the pages of history and to encourage us in the times that are to come as well. And so we are going to dig into that book, but what we're going to do today is to do an introduction to Daniel where we are going to prepare to study the book of Daniel. You know, church, there are some key concepts in the Bible that if we really get down, if we take ownership of and comprehend these principles, not only will we be better able to understand the book of Daniel, but we're going to be better able to understand any book of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. And so we're going to prepare to study the book of Daniel because there are two key questions that Daniel, he is a, 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 considered a wise man, he is considered a prophet, and more than anything else, he was perhaps a, an administrator and a leader of the Jewish people, an example for the Jewish people. But he had two burning questions on his heart that he wanted to answer. These great promises that God had made to his people, the Jewish people, the two great questions that Daniel and really any book of the Bible is seeking to answer is how are those promises going to be fulfilled and when are those promises going to be fulfilled? And so we want to understand Daniel, and we want to understand the questions that he's asking, first and foremost. And then we want to understand, as the information begins to be released, what questions specifically is God seeking to answer for Daniel? And so that's what we're going to cover as we study the backstory to where Daniel and the Jewish people are at, how they got there, and what they're looking for and waiting for. And so what we want to look at, I'm going to start off by reading from Psalm 137. Psalm 137 is a song of lament, and it was a song or a psalm 
written during the time frame in which Daniel lived in regards to where the Jewish people had found themselves. See, the, the northern kingdoms of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, God's covenant people, had been divided into two separate countries, so to speak. There were the northern kingdoms, which weren't as loyal to God as the southern kingdoms. And those kingdoms had long ago been invaded and deported by foreign countries. And so the southern kingdoms were basically all that was left. And those countries had found themselves in a place where they were no longer being loyal to God either. And so prophets such as Jeremiah were, were preaching to those people saying that because of your unfaithfulness, of your disloyalty to God, he's going to raise up a foreign oppressor that is going to invade our country and deport its people. And that had happened. And Psalm 137 is written in the context of that very thing happening. The Babylonian people, the Babylonian Empire, which was the great world power, superpower at the time, had invaded, conquered, and deported many of the Jewish people. It was a brutal process. It was very hard on them. And here was a song or a psalm written in response to what had happened. This is from Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion being uh, a metaphor, another way of saying Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdoms. It was where King David's throne was. And so it was where the Davidic dynasty or line of kings from King David, this would have been their, their capital city. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there, we hung up our lyres or our musical instruments. We were done singing. For there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. That was kind of a request, but kind of a little bit of a mocking request because the Babylonians would have heard the songs of Zion, which would have been songs about the grandeur and the greatness of Jerusalem and the God of Jerusalem and his, and his people and how impenetrable they were, how great their God was. And so there's a little bit of a mocking there. You're not so great now, are you? Your God's not so awesome now, is he? And so this is, there's a bitterness associated with what's being expressed in this psalm. Verse 4. How will we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy, remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. And so Israel's enemies are cheering as the Babylonians sweep in and destroy it. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones, your children, your infants, 
and dashes them or kills them against the rocks. And so the people of Israel are in pain. They're hurting. They're mourning. Not only the loss of their great city, which represents God ruling and reigning over them and blessing them. It represents their national pride. It it represents so many things, but they have been treated bitterly and harshly by these pagan, foreign, who they consider evil, uh, governments and armies. And so this is kind of the atmosphere, the tone, that Daniel and his friends would have been brought up in. And as teenagers in their mid-teens, they would have been handpicked by these foreign oppressors to come to Babylon and learn Babylonian culture and so that Babylonian culture could learn their ways as well because they wanted to know how to adequately govern this new territory that they had conquered. And so Daniel and his friends would have been charismatic, good-looking, intelligent young men that would have been easy to follow. They would have been looked up to by their their peers and their, their fellow countrymen. And the Babylonians wanted to train them to be leaders for Babylon over this new territory that they had conquered. But imagine the the mixed feelings Daniel and his friends would have had. They would have been around these enemies that had treated them and their people harshly. They would have been around these people that they considered crude and ungodly and pagan. And so there would have been this mixture of negative emotions that that they would have had to live with, these tensions that they would have had to live with. And as we see in Daniel, they're going to remain faithful and loyal to their God. And at the same time, they're going to learn how to live and respect their captors. They're going to live and learn how to win over the favor of their captors and oppressors. And they're even going to learn to love the people that they live around in Babylon. And so they're an example not only of how to be loyal to God in a hostile environment, They're an example of how to be loyal to God in a hostile environment and still love our enemies and bless our enemies, and that is in no way compromising our loyalty to God when we do that. And so it's a really important book for us in a climate that is increasingly becoming hostile to traditional believing faith in Jesus. Not only the secular climate, but the religious climate is becoming increasingly hostile to traditional believing faith, we want to learn as much as we can from Daniel and his friends because their life and example has a lot to say to us today. And so let's look at some of the principles from the Old Testament that are going to be critical. Once again, these principles are critical to understanding not only the book of Daniel, but any book of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. So I would encourage you, if you're at home, to find some way to take notes because these principles are going to really uh, help us to understand with a little more depth what Daniel and other books of the Bible are saying, the questions that they're asking, the answers that God is giving us through those pages. And so what we want to look at, because these are going to be the dominant themes of Scripture, Old Testament and New, that are seeking to be resolved uh, in not only history, but the pages of Scripture. And so these five key principles are really what we call covenants. They're the covenants that God has made with his people. And a covenant is really just kind of like a contract. It's an agreement where one party agrees to do this for you, 
and there is typically something that the other party has to do to meet the obligations of that contract or agreement. And so God has made five great contracts with human beings, first with Old Testament Israel, then with the New Testament church. God has made five great contracts in history with the human race. And you'll be somewhat familiar with these, but there are implications we really need to pin down as we approach a book like the book of Daniel. So the first contract that God made with human beings was the Noahic Covenant. And so, church, I'm sure that you know the Noahic Covenant was in response to a world, planet Earth, where human beings were increasingly rebellious against God. They had become utterly corrupt, and God saw that the only way to hit the reset button and start over so that the good earth that he wanted to create, that he intended to create in the Garden of Eden, so that that project could get back on track. And so God saw to it, at the time frame, the earth had become so corrupt, the only way I'm going to be able to do that, to hit the reset button and start over, is to wipe everything out, every person out. And so, as you know, God calls Noah to build the ark, and he destroys the people on the earth at that time. And he makes a covenant with Noah, the sign being the rainbow. I will never again destroy the earth and start over like I did with you this time, Noah. I'm never going to do that again. That covenant was unconditional, meaning it's a promise God made to human beings, and there are no requirements on the other end. God is going to do this, and it will never happen again, regardless of what happens with human beings. And so... As that covenant plays out, God hit the reset button, humanity began unraveling again, becoming rebellious and corrupt, and God saw to it that he needed to hit the reset button again on the project creating a good earth, which he intended in the Garden of Eden. And so God's solution this time to hitting the reset button and rebuilding project is to call one man out from this pagan and wicked environment his name being Abram. Initially, his name was Abram. It was changed to Abraham as a result of the promise God made to this man. And so the second covenant or great promise God makes to human beings is to Abraham. It's found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. This is where God initiates his promise to Abraham, which is going to be God's plan once again for hitting the reset button on planet Earth, starting the rebuilding project so that the Garden of Eden game plan could be set back in motion. And here's the promise that God makes to Abraham, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this is God initiating the promise to Abraham. He promises two specific things, a piece of land and a people where he can build this great nation. In Genesis 15, the entire chapter is basically illustrating for us how God takes some animals, 
cuts them in half, and so there's a sacrificial ceremony, which is t- intending to show the seriousness of the contract that God is making with Abraham. And in Genesis 15, it's God alone who walks through the, the pieces of the animals. It's to illustrate that God alone is taking responsibility for the fulfillment of this great promise. Genesis 17 adds to the promise, and God promises Abraham, Abraham, there's going to be a line of kings that are going to come from you as well. Many people think that the Davidic kingship in the Old Testament is something that God did not want. Well, clearly, that, God, that is something that God promises to the Old Testament people of Israel, the, pe- the descendants of Abraham, not only in Genesis 17, 9 through 14, but in other places in the Old Testament as well, God does make provisions for a king for the Jewish people eventually. Genesis 22, 15 through 19, not only does God promise Abraham a land in which he will make a great nation of people, from which a line of kings will come, he also promises that they will live at peace from all of their enemies. So these are all components of the Abrahamic covenant. It is repeated in the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn there to me in your homes, on your Bible, to Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read from verses 13, starting in verse 13, and through the end of the section there. And so this is a promise that God made to Abraham, and we're going to see what the attitude and the thinking process of the New Testament believers were about this particular covenant that God made. Genesis, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. God swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Now, church, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us Abraham did not receive everything that was promised. He received the initial down payment of the promise. He did not receive everything that was promised according to Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 16. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose. Now say that at home, unchanging. That's an important phrase. God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, Abraham's descendants. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, there's that word again, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. What is the anchor? It's the unchangeable nature of God's promise. The promise that God made to Abraham is unchangeable. It is a guarantee. God is going to fulfill it. And because we embrace that reality, we who have hope in Jesus Christ can can be guaranteed that the hope we have in him is unchangeable and it will be promised and fulfilled. It's an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, 
Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so there you have it, the attitude of the author of Hebrews is that the promise that God made to Abraham is rock solid. It is a guarantee. It is unchangeable. And because that is true, God's promise to us through Jesus Christ is the exact same way. It is unchangeable. It is rock solid. It is a guarantee. The promises that we have received through faith in Jesus will be treated the same way by God. And so that's the Abrahamic covenant. It is a promise that God made to Abraham. It is still in effect, which is unlike the third covenant that God made with human beings, which was through the exodus from Egypt at Mount Sinai, Moses being the leader of the Jewish people out of slavery, and God makes a covenant with them as they leave a position of slavery to go inherit the promises that God made to Abraham. God makes a covenant or a contract or an agreement with this nation to bless them, to establish them as a people, to provide for them. But this covenant is conditional. There are conditions. God tells the Jewish people, I will do this for you, but you have to do this for me, which is basically uh, do everything that I tell you to do, and follow through, and then the promises that I made to you, you can guarantee that's going to happen. And as we know, the, the Mosaic Covenant is the laws of the Old Testament. It involves a sacrificial system in how to worship God uh, and, and, and various ceremonial stipulations, what kind of clothes to wear, what kind of food to eat to distinguish yourself from the nations that are around you. And we know from Hebrews 8.13 that this specific covenant that God made with the Jewish people is now obsolete. It's no longer in effect. It says that specifically in Hebrews 8.13 and other places in the New Testament. It is that specific covenant that has been replaced by a new covenant. And so it is obsolete, no longer effective. That does not apply to the Noahic covenant. The Noahic covenant is still in effect, and it will never go away. That's not true of the Abrahamic covenant. That covenant is still in effect, and it will not go away until it's fulfilled. But the, the Mosaic covenant specifically is the covenant that is now obsolete. The fourth covenant being the Davidic covenant. This was a promise that God made to one of Abraham's descendants, who was a king, King David, and this promise is found a few different places in the Old Testament, initiated in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. Here's what it says to King David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure 
forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan, a prophet of God, spoke to King David. So that promise is affirmed in 1 Chronicles 7, 2 Chronicles 6, in 2 Samuel 7.10, something is reaffirmed in conjunction with the Davidic covenant, <clears throat> the land that God promised, and peace from their enemies is reestablished and affirmed in the promise to King David. And then look what it says in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Look at what Jeremiah says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. That's a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of one of David's descendants who will fulfill that Davidic covenant. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And so the promise is very specific. It is a king in the line of David that will reign justly and wisely in the land. And so it's very specific. And then the last promise to be made is the new covenant. The covenant that you and I are familiar with who have faith in Jesus Christ. It was a covenant established by God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, ratified by the resurrection from the dead, God establishes a new covenant with humanity, and it is conditional, like other promises, like the Mosaic covenant, it is conditional. The promises that we have through Jesus Christ are conditional upon confessing or admitting our alienation from God, our sin, believing the message of Jesus Christ, putting our trust and confidence in the stories of Jesus found in the pages of the Bible, and then agreeing to repent, agreeing that I need to change. It is these conditions by which we come into a right relationship with God, and church, understand this. This new covenant is the vehicle by which we are going to get to participate in the fulfillment of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants. Let's be clear about that. It is the vehicle of the new covenant. Faith in the person of Jesus Christ by which we are going to get to participate in the promises of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants. We get to be a part of the people of God in the land that he promised with a king ruling over us justly and wisely and righteously. That's the promise we have to look forward to. And while the cross secured those promises for us, it, it made it an airtight, rock-solid guarantee. It did not fulfill those promises for us. The Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants are fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus, or the return of Jesus to the earth. Church, I wanted to really dig into those principles. It is critical because every single book of the Bible is dealing with 
seeking to answer the question, when are these promises going to be fulfilled? And how are these promises going to be fulfilled? Ultimately, the book of Revelation is seeking to answer the question, when are these promises going to be fulfilled? And how are these promises going to be fulfilled? And so when we look at the book of Daniel, which has many similarities with the book of Revelation, it is these two great questions that are the burning questions on Daniel's mind and heart. He's, he's longing to know every Jewish person has these promises, just like in, the, in Psalm 137, the songs of Zion, their dreams for their land and their people and, and their capital, Jerusalem, their dreams and hopes are, are full of these promises. God, when are they going to come true? Because right now, the way things are looking, the environment that we're living in, the hostility to our faith, the being deported from our homeland and having to live under a pagan government, it doesn't look like we're anywhere close to those promises being fulfilled. But Daniel knows in his mind he's heard the preaching of Jeremiah, and he knows Jeremiah said we're only going to be in exile for 70 years. It says that in Jeremiah 29.10. We're only going to be in exile for 70 years. And then God's going to return us to our homeland. But God has to give Daniel some important, some important qualifiers to that. God gives Daniel this picture of the subsequent governments that are going to come, that are going to rule over the Jewish people. Yes, you're going to get to return to your homeland. Yes, you're going to get to continue to worship again. But no, you're not going to be autonomous. The Davidic kingdom is not going to be reestablished. After the invasion and the deportation of the, the Jewish people from the southern kingdom of Judah, the Davidic kingdom, the Davidic, Davidic line of kings is never reestablished. And so these promises are hanging out there. The Jewish people never have peace in their land to this day. The Jewish people never have peace in their land like is promised. And so this, these questions are still hanging out there. For the Jewish people today, these questions are still hanging out there. God, when are you going to fulfill these promises? These are the burning questions on Daniel's heart. He spends long hours in prayer seeking God and asking God, when are these promises going to be fulfilled? And how are these promises going to be fulfilled? When we read Jan Daniel chapter 7 through 12, we're going to get a, a picture of God attempting to answer those questions for Daniel. That's what those dreams and visions that he experiences, those encounters with angels that Daniel has, that's what they're seeking to answer, when and how these are going to be fulfilled, and what the Jewish people are to expect to stay encouraged in the hostile conditions they find themselves in. Well, church, I think this is an important study for us because we're going to see increasingly for us, again, both the secular environment, the secular political environment, and the religious environment are going to become increasingly ungodly. There's going to be an increasing spirit of compromise, which we are called and tempted to get in agreement with 
to get out of loyalty and agreement with God and the clear teachings of Scripture and to get in agreement with false teaching from the church and expectations and pressures from the world. And the book of Daniel teaches us we can stay loyal to God and we can not only survive in that climate, but we can thrive in that climate if we learn to love our enemies and bless our enemies and refuse to compromise, God will absolutely see to it that we have the same blessing that Daniel and his friends had. And so we want to study their, their choices, their attitudes to the unique challenges that they faced. Not only challenges from indulging in the pleasures of this world, challenges from being intimidated by their peers and attacked by their peers, challenges from their superiors or the, the power structures that existed, their lives, their very lives being threatened, and staring every one of those things directly in the eye with courage and refusing a spirit of compromise. Church, we want to learn from that. We want to, we want to embrace as much as that as we can as we face the, the growing climate of ungodliness in the culture and even in the church around us. And so I'm looking forward to this study. I hope you are as well. It's going to be a, an extensive study, but it is going to be very interesting and exciting and engaging. And so I hope you stick with us through the entire thing. Let me pray with us, and we'll go on with our week and look forward to what God has for us in our next message. Father, we thank you, and we just trust, Holy Spirit, that you are going to help us to approach the pages of Scripture with a spirit of openness. What that means is we're going to allow the Scripture to tell us what to think. We're not going to bring our agenda to the Scripture and try and force it in there. And so, Father, help us in the coming weeks to just lay down our biases, our presuppositions, and come with a spirit of openness. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to tell us, what is the Scripture saying? What is God calling us to? What are the areas that we need to really strengthen and fortify in order to really be loyal to you in the coming weeks, days, months, and years? We want to be loyal to you and really get established in that so that you will bless us and we don't expect the world to bless us as we get in agreement with the spirit of compromise. We're going to expect and look to you to provide for us and to bless us and to not only cause us to survive, but to thrive in the coming seasons of life that we have in front of us. And so thank you, Holy Spirit. We trust that you're going to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you, church. Hope you have a great week. And we look forward to what God has to say to us next week as we approach the book of Daniel and we get into chapter 1. So you might read that this week as we look forward to uh, next Sunday's message. Amen.